What is up, America? Well, just like COVID-19, you didn't ask for this, but you're getting it. <laughs> Welcome to Blabber Brains. Tonight's special guest, Tom McGallis. Let's do this. Blabber Brains. All right, welcome to Blabber Brains. We're finally here with our premiere episode. It's been a long time coming, and uh, you know we've had a lot of uh, obstacles to overcome along the way. So we're sorry that uh, this has been delayed a little bit. But you know what can you do? We're finally here. We're finally ready to kick this show off, and we're kicking it off right because we got with us tonight Tom McGallis. Let's go, Tom McGallis in the house, everybody. What? What? Cue applause. Cue applause, <laughs> man. If we, I'm gonna hit a button so there's all kind of applause going. On. Don't worry. So, I had to. I know Tom doesn't need any introduction, but let me just run down his list of accomplishments. Holy cow! I mean, this might take a half hour, but uh, oh no, oh, no. You know, he, he's a he's a a writer, a director, a producer, uh, an artist, uh, as we'll talk about a little bit. Um, stop motion artist, uh, filmmaker, uh, voice character, voice uh, artist, uh, including uh, most recently Captain Caveman of all characters. Uh, for the new uh, Warner Brothers, what is it? Yabba Dabba. Yabba Dabba dinosaur or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. So you and Mel Blanc, man, what a, what great company to be in. Woo! Holy cow. Woo! I mean, man. how how are you going to fill those shoes, man? Uh, you know, it, it's wild because when I uh, first got like the uh, the uh, audition, well, and, and the guy, I, I've known him because I used to work on like the Amanda show and some other shows on Nickelodeon. And so the guy that was putting this together said, hey, man, I might have a part for you. It's like a little tiny kind of Neanderthal, unsophisticated <laughs> gorilla rock of a guy. And I right. went, yeah, that's me. <laughs> I, you know, and, and then when I finally did it, it was like, uh, you know, the voice was I was trying to add stuff to it. Like, you know, like Mel Blanc, actually, if you look at it added things like uh, he'd go and he added like these little extra things right they didn't want me to do any of that they're like no just really basic as scripted yeah hardly (laughs) any i was like it was pretty weird man because you know it was written by the cohen brothers (laughs) oh they don't like improv at all no no they don't oh man dude that's because i you know I went to LA to record these things and I was, uh, not, not for all of them, but for, for this one, I went to, to record and I was there and, uh, I would do stuff like, uh, you know, okay. Down on bedrock in the wood. And I'd go to Yamba. And they're like, Hey, Tom, Tom, don't do any of that extra stuff. Just, and I go, can I try a little extra thing? No, no, we're good. We got it. Next line. Right. They, they just churn, man. They don't oh, want man. just do the lines. And I was, uh, now this is probably isn't everybody, you know, some people want the improv, but yeah. this was like business, man. Come on, get those lines, do, you know, move on. Next, 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 next. So um, anyway, but it's fun. Voiceover is a blast. Yeah. I love it. Easy love gig too, it. man. Easy gig. Oh, man, you can look ugly. Yeah. You can wear like pajama <laughs> bottoms. You can do it like quarantine. You yeah, don't exactly. even need to get dressed. Exactly. You can do it, it from home if you have the equipment too. No, and you have to memorize lines. Yeah. <laughs> you can read it, off, read it off the paper, man. But that's, yeah. you know, I know a lot of people, they love they love the uh, the improv sometimes from the, the artist because that kind of adds to the character. But, but I understand like if it's a low budget thing, they, they it's almost like, you have to stick to the lines because otherwise then they're like, okay, which take was better? Was that take better? Then they got to, 
They just want they just want you to deliver the lines that they want so that they can yeah. move on and move on. And well, and, uh, it, well, you know, Mike, you were in uh, you were in my uh, classic movie yes. uh, that I uh, directed <laughs> and co-wrote with uh, my friend John Kasnick, who produced it. And, my, part, uh, my part was silent, though. You, I had yeah, you, you cut my audio out, so you were just a drug dealer <laughs> in but, black uh, and white. But that's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm, I'm I, I co-wrote this script and I'm in it. And at times I would just kind of, you know, I was doing this guy named Chuck Colenso, you know, it was just kind of this guy who's like a, a weird Italian shyster guy. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, could, yeah, could barely see and just, you know, he's just a nut. And uh, he, uh, so I would improvise. I'd be like, hey, what are you talking about? Well, then, you know, I'd just kind of roll on stuff. And then the other actors were like in the scene kind of looking at me. What, and What the hell's going on? <laughs> and then I go, and they're like, I don't think that was in there and then you know the producer john would come over and go you can't do that man yeah. he goes no one knows where you are it's like i right. want to come in and i go what is this what is this acting <laughs> business <laughs> get, get some qualified other actors in there who know a little bit about improv and how to feed off of well, it for kind of well did you guys see the new orson welles thing that's out it's like no, uh, i didn't the, no. the other side of the wind right. right and here's this great genius citizen kane and I hope that people listening or watching this kind of know who Orson Welles is. I, if not, I'm, you have to be over forty. You. you have to be over forty, I think, maybe. Really, he's forgotten. Oh, yeah. damn, yeah. dude! I mean, oh. there's there's people who don't know anything about like you know the Brady Bunch unless you're like over forty for crying out loud. That's I, I'm, not, I'm not joking man. about that either. Oh, well, you, you know what's that? I wouldn't worry, Tom. I think we're probably pretty popular quickly with the geriatric crowd and <laughs> nursing homes and everything like they're that. Tuning in. Nice. They're tuning in. I, I have a feeling we're not going to have too many people that are 18 years old going, what the hell are these three guys talking about? <laughs> yeah. I don't well, think that's going to happen. <laughs> they so could learn it, something. Is it, a not yet. Is, is it a documentary or a mockumentary or what is it? Is well, it man, the thing is about the other side of uh, the wind. It's uh, both. It's, it's a, uh, a documentary about the making of his last movie. And then they, then they released it. Netflix came to the foreground. This film was shot in 1970 to 1976. Wow. Orson Welles's last film, uh, co-written, 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 co-written yeah. with his, uh, his, his mistress. Um, and uh, she's in it a lot, mostly nude. That'll perk some people up. Wow. And uh, <laughs> or- Orson Welles mixed like, handheld 16 millimeter, you know, 35 super eight. Like he was, it was a, it was a crazy film wow. that was this sort of impro improvised. And what he, what he said at one point was, uh, I want to find the, the accidents. I want to find the happy accidents, which I totally get, man, because when I do art, I always work that into something might happen. You know, right. yep. instead of like fill in the blanks, like, you know, here's here's the drawing, fill in the blank and make this painting or here's the script, make this film. He was like, let's create some chaos and something that could happen. So it will be this spontaneous uh, sort of morphing piece. Now, what happened was the film is hard to follow man, because right. cause there wasn't a big plan, you know, right, right, right. Uh, even by the great genius. Uh, Orson Welles, and it just proves, man, filmmaking is a bitch. Yeah, it's, it's hard, hard to do, yeah. man. It's and it's one of those things that you just can't do alone. And, and I know, Mike, you, you know, you've been involved in trying to create this animation outside of the industry, and 
it's certainly gotten easier. But after watching that, I thought, dude, you could have had a much easier life had you played the Hollywood game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah, no, he wasn't a blackballed or something like that. He was, uh, yeah. And he just, it, all he had to do was suck it up and play the game a little bit and work within the system because the system in Hollywood is set up to make films. Right. It, it, you know, and all you have to do is, uh, I used to joke that, that my mother could make a feature film in Hollywood. You know, <laughs> my old Greek mother shows, I'm like, okay, yeah. what's this? Give me the notion. Okay, what's it? And you got an AD going, <laughs> great. All right, we're going to go to page one. Okay, we'll move the camera over there. Sophia, where do you want? I don't know. Put, okay, let's put the camera <laughs> right there. All right, let's go, guys. Let's get, you know, and, and yeah. the, the machine will propel you to, to, to a certain point. Right. And, uh, and you're in, I just, man, dude, I don't know. There's probably independent film people listening to this, but it, I think it's almost impossible to make a big film uh, with really, really high-end acting unless you tap into the system to some point. I, I think you can't get distribution. This is a whole other subject, but I, I thought of this when I was watching that movie. I thought, man, he made it triple hard on himself. Right. You know, He could have just had the support being the genius that he was, and played the game and, and had the, the support, probably gotten the money to do it. It's never easy to get money in Hollywood, but um, he made it so much harder. I don't know, yeah. man. Well, and in the know, end, dies penniless. Yeah. I know, which is, no, not doing, really. Not really. He do, couldn't take it with him anyways. No, so. he couldn't take it. But he was doing, <laughs> but remember, though, if, if anybody knows Orson Welles, at the very end of his life to make a buck, he was doing really bad commercials for Paul oh. Son, And he was drunk half the time. And, and he was like, yeah. He did the Nostradamus uh, documentaries as well. Was, anything uh, to make a buck, man. Right, exactly. But anyway, anyway, I just watched that. That's why it's fresh on my mind. Right. Well, I mean, I, I love to direct, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I've, I've directed animation. I've directed shorts, uh, you know, f- short films and stuff like that. But which is why, like, I, I was kind of smart enough whenever I uh, started working with Lacey Sturm on her movie yeah. and uh, to say, you know what, this is, a, this is going to be a... a, a decent size feature film, uh, probably between a five to $10 million budget feature film. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to bring in somebody else, you know, put them in the, at the helm of directing because, yeah. you know, uh, Great. You know as, as writer and producer and stuff like that, you know, I, I want to, uh, kind of ease into that role. Not that I, I'm, a, I'm afraid to direct and I'm nowhere near afraid to direct, mm-hmm. but I'm just saying that, um, there's so much on my plate with everything else I've got going on. I'm not about to, with the first feature film, take on that role of, of director as well. And yeah, and pl- Smart. yeah, I mean, it's just, you can get overwhelmed really super fast. So bringing on a director that knows what he's doing, that, uh, that that's all he's got on his plate is yeah. focusing on that. It's probably the best best move to make. Um, I agree, man. I you know the the you talked about the hard part about filmmaking. It's it's kind of almost the same thing with, with in the music business. Is um, you've got to know the right people. You know, thankfully, I've I've gotten connect. I've made a lot of connections in the industry that's helping with Lacey's film. Mm-hmm. to be fairly confident that it's going to see its light, light of day on the, awesome. on the screen, okay? So I'm not worried about that, and we will get funding. I'm very confident about that as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, without that, without those connections, you know, it, it could be three, five, six years before anything happens with it, and music is the same way. Unless you have deep connections these days, um, yeah. you're not going to make it just on talent alone. Uh, you no. know. 
Yeah, it's just you don't need talent half the time. Well, but that's my point. That's my point. The machine propels you. If you don't have the talent, you can still make it because you know the right people. And that's, you know, that's kind of my point. That is Um, true, man. That is true. There's there's a lot of, you know, uh, not super talented, super knowledgeable uh, directors in Hollywood and and, and even in the music business that have got, they get by with their, their support, the support people, you know, they, you know, it's, yeah, you know, you put them on their own in their own backyard making a film, it, it could be disastrous. Yeah, um, you but, know, you know, the uh, you know, I've worked with a lot of local bands too back in the day. I used to produce in the studio. Um, once I figured out that it was a much harder road to travel to be a a musician or playing a band to get signed. Uh, it was an, uh, a, a smidge easier road to travel to be a producer. Um, mm-hmm. My thoughts were to produce some local bands, have them get signed to a major label, and then uh, hopefully they would like the experience of working with me so much that they take me with them to, to their major label uh, deal. And yeah. that's how I make a name for myself that way. But the problem was that like every band I was working with, um, I, I've worked with two bands that got signed to a label. Mm-hmm. And both bands never ended up even recording the album for a couple of different wow, reasons. Yeah, it, yeah, it's one, one of the bands, one of the bands preferred being a bigger band, uh, like a bigger fish in a small pond. Mm-hmm. It was the, the whole uh, threatening thing of, okay, even if we put this out, is it, is it going to do anything? Do we have longevity? We could be blowing what we have right now. And the other band just didn't want to be dictated to by the, by a record label. They're, yeah. they're like, you know, we, we, we want to play the music we want to play and they want us to record stuff that, that is kind of like the stuff that is like on our, we feel is like on our edge, yeah. which is the stuff we don't want. We only do that stuff to like maybe attract some people. Well, yeah, that's what, what attracted the, the record labels. You, they heard the radio play right. the song right. and they want right, more man. of that stuff. And they're like, no, yeah. no, thanks. We're, we're, we're out of here. So they, they turned it down. So it's just like, okay, this isn't happening. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, there's a great uh, his, history with uh, a Pittsburgh band. With uh, locally is when the guys uh, from Wild Cherry did play that funky yeah. music, yeah. White Boy, and they were like, "Wow, this is what they want to hear," and that was yeah. what the song's about, and that was their biggest hit. <laughs> yeah, and then they they milked that for about thirty years, and then even like there was nobody Hell left. Yeah. In the, there was nobody. I remember there was nobody left in the band but the drummer. And the drummer was, oh yeah, the oh drummer. Oh my God. The, and then I, they would even play down uh, the little dive that I used to play at all the time called Someplace Else. It was like the, the biggest rock club in Pittsburgh, but like it was such a dive, but yet everybody played there. Everybody wanted to go there. And uh, Someplace but, Else. Someplace Else. <laughs> got, got, got the nickname Scumplace Else for a reason, you know. Yeah. Oh but, man. Um, Where but, was that? Uh, in Swissvale? No, it was in Whitehall. It was, in, uh, oh. like, it was on, uh, like right across from Eaton Park on Rod 51. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. Yeah, and, um, you know, the, the, the thing, and they used to, they played there at least a couple of times a year. They say, wow, cherry. And of course you would think that that would draw some people in, but like, it wasn't, wasn't the, the real band. It was just the, the drummer from the yeah. band. Yeah. So, but yeah, they were a Pittsburgh based band. A lot of people don't know that. That's funny, but, but you know, it, it, in terms of controlling stuff and why I've kind of turned so much to art Art, you've got no excuse. You don't need anybody to make art. Just you. That's right. all you need. Yeah. And you don't even need amazing supplies. You don't even need. So there is all the excuses are out the door. It's you don't need anybody to do big paintings, big art. No, nobody. No, but you, you need. Just do, you need you, yeah, I, I would say this. There, you, you sometimes don't need talent to be an artist because the the the, the art is interpreted 
differently oh, by yeah. everybody. Um, <laughs> it's just interesting. like all talent is interpreted. I mean, how many paintings do you see that looks like absolutely nothing and people go crazy? It's like a, what, a black dot on a, on a yeah. big, huge piece of canvas and they'd be like, oh yeah, I can see what they were going for there. Somebody told like, them though. Yeah, well, they, well, they, they, you know, they were, it was hyped. Yeah, it, it was, was like, like you got to collect this. This is amazing art. It's so called the, look, it's called it the universe. And they had the universe was like a black dot on a huge white piece of canvas. And the dude just like, he just put yeah. the little dot there and like, oh, I'm done. That's but, me, man. No, I mean, yeah. hardly. I mean, you can see a couple of art pieces by you in the background there. Tom, I, you know, <laughs> I, I really, really enjoy your art. And oh, I thanks, think, man. I think you do something that is really tough to do is you do multiple different types of art. You do, uh, you, you take junk and turn it into art. <laughs> you, you do, uh, you know, the, the, the carving, you do the, uh, the pencil sketch, you do the ink, you do, uh, uh, paint you do everything man you 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 turn anything into art and the the amazing thing is it all looks like the same style and it is so oh, hard cool. to do yeah i mean like it so you have a signature that no matter what type of art you're doing i can look at that and say that's Megalis. and that's oh, so hard to do and i think that that's, that's awesome that'll stand the test of time even if you're 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 struggling now or even if you're not making a lot of money in it and you're like oh well i just love doing it that's why i'm doing it you know who knows, you know, 10 years after you die, that's everything oh. worth it. I mean, look at, look at, look at Picasso. Nobody wanted to pay anything for Picasso stuff when he was alive. Did you know that? Really? His stuff wasn't know. worth crap. Really? Uh, wasn't yes, it? I, towards the end of his life when he was, well, he didn't start painting until he was older anyways, but towards the end no, of his no, life. No, Picasso was painting early. You, uh, might, you think, who are you thinking well, of? Maybe, you might be, th you might be mixing up. Some, maybe, Picasso maybe. was. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah Picasso early. died when then in the fifties or something like that. He died. No, he, he died in seventy three. Oh, okay, it was, was later. About, That's he was, right. He was about ninety three at the time. Yeah, I know he, he was, was an old dude. Yeah, but um, but he was but he was painting early. But listen, he was one of the guys that said, uh, you know, if 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 somebody uh, if if I wasn't Picasso, I would have invented Picasso. <laughs> like he knew he knew that it was. Um, you know, he had to have this brand and the, and who he was. And even then, well, I mean even Dali and these people that, you know, created like personas or amplified their persona to sell their art. And that helps, you know, I right. think it, it, in this day and age, um, you know, you got to promote, you have to like get out there and, 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 uh, cause this, this is a very busy time right. in, in, in society. And, uh, but I, I, you know, listen, Mike, I, I love doing the art because it still is physical. It's something, right. you know, it, it exists. I can go look at it a month later, two months, and it's the, you know it's the same thing. It's like it, it kind of freezes time right in front of your face. Right. Whereas uh, the computer, people always I get asked a lot of times like, "Well, you know, do you use do you use a Photoshop? Are you on like Illustrator yeah. or doing it?" You know, and uh, <laughs> I, I and no, I it's all say, manual, man. I would say like as little as possible because I've experienced twice the loss of digital work, right, and right. it was devastating, oh, almost to a point huge. where you. You just go, I, I like left it. I was like, Damn, where it's not, you know, and someone said, well, I can go on your drive. It's $2,000. We can find. <laughs> right. And I'm like, really? Do, do a deep dive. Yeah. I, so I remember the, the, this happened like first time, maybe like 15 years ago. And, um, I said, man, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna rely on the computer like that ever, ever, ever again. It's just, you know, it's just there. It archives things. I make correction, you know, you type on it. Right. But I, I never do art on the computer. I just, I just can't. I just can't see doing it. It's 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 just not there. It's not real, you know. For me, 
Well, they, you're, you're, I'm an art, old guy. <laughs> <laughs> art, art is, is a lot like uh, music where, um, like I said, it's, it's a personality that comes out in, in the artwork itself. And, you know, Mark, it's the same thing with you kind of like, no matter what you're, you're doing, whether you're, uh, you know, doing something that's uh, relevant in rock, whether you were doing classic rock or whether you're doing something more in the country vein, you have your own uh, style that goes with it. And it's a, it's like a, a signature stamp saying this is, you know, this is Mark Anthony, regardless of what style it is, you have a certain signature that you stamp on it. And, and again, that's kind, of, that's kind of unique. Not everybody can say yeah, that. Yeah, I'm trying to, I've been trying to shake it off for years. But Mike is right. I mean, there are certain ways I sing something or certain chords that I play or even on a guitar solo, there's certain patterns that I'll do and, I've had to reinvent myself a million times, you know, yeah. I, yeah. I, wow. you know, I've, I never stuck. Like there's a lot of people, Mike and I know that are still, Hey man, we're going to do, we're going to be trying to learn some new, some old rat and slaughter and all that. <laughs> and I moved past, I go with, I've gone with the changes and adapt to what's going on. Cause I never wanted to be one of these guys that people said, Oh, that's There's that old dude over there trying to play rock. I just want to be <laughs> hey, that guy. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That old guy. You know, <laughs> yeah. I see the guy, or I see people with their hair down here, but their hair up on top is only like this. <laughs> you know, the microscope to take a look at. It's like you know. It's. I mean, you gotta. You, that's the only thing that I could say that I've been pretty good at is being able to move on and sort of change what I change what that's I awesome. do. Some, change with somewhat. the time. But if you were talking about people not breaking into the music industry, I could, I should probably put out a book. How not to make it big in the music business. <laughs> just write everything out that I've ever done, put it into a book, and then people could buy, read, and go, okay, well, if I don't want to succeed, I'll follow Mark. If not, <laughs> do the, let's do the complete opposite of everything. Yeah, and maybe like, something will happen. You know? step, step, step one. Make some money sooner. I can, maybe I can make some money for a change. <laughs> Here, here's, here's step one. Stay in Pittsburgh. <laughs> you know, that was a big thing, big thing for me is I've never – tried to sound like I was from Pittsburgh, I was always sort of a little different because I didn't care about what went on here. I right. looked at it on a more national basis and it was extremely hard to get people to follow what I wanted to do. Even when Mike and I uh, had a band together to slut puppies and we were doing the, you know, that sort of modern rock that was coming out in the nineties, in the nineties, yeah. oh, yeah. past the grunge and everything. And it was really, it was really good. And people loved it. Yeah, people came and see us. But when you would yeah. go to a, but when you would go to a bar owner and you would give them a demo of our music, they would go, "What the hell kind of music is this? What's, <laughs> what's going on everywhere yeah. else except yeah. here?" And, they, and that yeah. would be the biggest thing is that they would be like, "They want, they want Leonard Skinner." What is, you know? <laughs> yeah. What is, what is this type of music? I don't even know what it is. And it's like, well, there's a lot of people like. Stained and Stone Temple Pilots and Alice Jones, they're all doing really well with this and, and they, they just couldn't get it through their head. Like, what, you don't well, want to be in the middle? It's a Pittsburgh <laughs> mentality. And yeah, that, unfortunately, and and I, I mean, mean I, Don, Donnie Iris made it out of Pittsburgh. Donnie, hey, Donnie. Yeah. And, it's a great uh, song. Yeah. I mean, and, but I, I remember when I lived in Florida in the late 80s, I was listening to Donnie Iris on the radio down there and that was cool, you know? Uh, and uh, Rusted Root made it out of Pittsburgh. God bless him. I mean, I, I graduated yeah, with Mike, yeah. Mike Lebecki's brother. 
uh, yeah. Baldwin, uh, Dave Lebicki. They were good, man. They were really good, but they but they didn't they didn't venture out of Pittsburgh t- to make it make it big. They they started here. They built a they built their base here, and they they moved on out of here. Uh, other yeah, musicians and then they I mean, went on tour, right? They yeah, were, they, they went, went on, on tour. Zeppelin, and they did with Zeppelin, and they were actually poised to take to become the next Grateful, Grateful Dead. Dead. Yeah, yeah. They, but but they they didn't. Uh, you know, man. Here's the thing: you you gotta. Uh, you got to sort of throw yourself into the fire hundred percent right. at some point and go, I'm in it. A lot of bands, like you look at uh, David Bowie when he was first touring, they were on tour two years, not making a penny, not right. selling a record, but they had the record label helping them until they, um, you know, and, and it, it, there's that documentary, documentary that's out uh, about Bowie. And he's, they said uh, they, they were living like rock stars before they even sold the record. Like they had money from the label. And uh, for two years, they made nothing. They weren't selling any records. They were just touring and gaining fans. And then they, the the label uh, gave them the time to do it. And uh, St. Leonard Skinner, they were, they were uh, floundering for like seven years. And like, until they, uh, and a lot of people thought they sucked early on, you know, until like (laughs) they were down in muscle shoals and they were like trying to get their sound. And it was not happening. And then finally, they got their sound. Right. But it took took a lot of years of making yeah. no money, man. Getting yeah, that, you know, nobody that, wanted to sign. And you can be like Autograph, who just got got famous over a, a, a bet by David Lee Roth, who said, I bet I can make these guys famous by going yeah. on tour with us. And he said, yeah, you guys are going <laughs> to open up for us. Next thing you know, they had a recording contract and were making yeah. albums. That's, so what, that's crazy. Yeah. One thing you were saying, Tom, that, what you were just talking about, especially with David Bowie, it's so much different in modern times. If years ago, if a record company found an artist that they liked, they would give them time to develop. Nowadays, yeah, it's, man. it's either something happens right away or go. I mean, yeah. there's been people that have had, had a great first album, a lot of success. The second one didn't do very well, didn't do very well out of the gate. Four months later, they're being cut from the label. I mean... There was a yeah. band, the Spin Doctors, it was like that. They put out this amazing first album. I didn't like it, but it was huge. They were on their first major tour with one album. They were the headliner, and they were selling out 20, 25-seat amphitheaters, and you never heard of them again because the next album came out. It sucked, and that was the end of them on a record label. And they toured for like another 10 years off of that one album Mm-hmm. And a little, and some stuff that nobody ever heard before. And they were able to keep touring and they didn't have, same with Tootie and Blowfish. They had two big albums and then it's things tanked and they, they went on tour for years successfully every year on a tour with not, no record support. That's People wild. just like those 10 or 12 songs and you yeah. know, it just worked and it worked out well for them nowadays, especially with it's hard to sell something. You could have a, an artist like there's this a country artist that I, like came out a few years ago. Now you don't hear of them. They had three, they had three top 40 hits. And when I looked at the CD cells, it was a hundred, like about 165 copies. And they had three, three big country hits. What? So that's the difference now between everything, because look, I don't, I rarely buy anything. I have Google Google play on my phone and I could run out. I have a huge, you know, Bose Bluetooth speaker sounds phenomenal. I yeah, don't have to listen to whatever I want, whenever I want little pieces here. I like these three songs. I put them on my phone and, you know, what am I paying? Like $10 a month for that. The artist is probably getting 
penny, you know, not even a penny. penny for every 7,000, 10,000 <laughs> 10, plays. Yeah. It's something See, like ridiculous like that. It's killing them now, it. man. Yeah. Killing them now not to be go out and play live. That's where you're going to make your money. That's where they make right? the money playing live. And that's why a lot of the, the older bands uh, still continue to tour and they, they, they team up with each other because that's the only way they're going to make money and stay yeah. relevant and everything, which is unfortunate. But, uh, hey, you know, they, they, yeah. at least they didn't have to take the route that Jimi Hendrix took. You know, Jimi Hendrix started out opening up for the monkeys. That's yeah, how he, that's how he yeah. made it. <laughs> yeah, and the he monkeys was, liked yeah. them so much they brought him on. But he, right. oh, he did other stuff. He did a lot of sessions. No, I know. But I mean, that was that's one like of the, the the classic uh, stories about uh, the fact yeah. that uh, before Jimi Hendrix made it big, he was touring. He was opening up for the monkeys. So <laughs> well, you know, it's it's what I used to be. Um, I used to have a morning show on WMMS in Cleveland. So I, I got to interview like a lot of rockers. And one of the coolest things I, I, I heard was how radio did launch people even in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a guy I was working with named Rocco. And uh, he said, hey, my boys, this I talk because my boys, Godsmacker, coming into town for the MTV show. You know, I want you to hang out with those guys. We could, because I discovered them. And I thought, oh, really? <laughs> you discovered Godsmack? So, um, you know, two days later, I'm in the tour bus with Godsmack and the lead singer, Sully. I think he's the, and I, and I said, hey, did Rocco really <laughs> discover you dudes? Now they, they're in a, you know, they're headlining this tour, right. these big buses. And he said, yes, he did, dude. Yes, he <laughs> did. He goes, we were playing, you know, 10 people. 20 people. Then he started playing our records on, on, in Boston on the, and, I, and, and then it was like a hundred people, 200, 300, thousand. He goes, because of the, the local airplay. And I right. went, I thought he was lying to me. He goes, right. no man, this dude, this dude started a career. Wow. And I, so it does work. I mean, that happened to Sticks too, believe it or not. I mean, Sticks uh, was just, uh, you know, they were they were cutting their teeth back in the early 70s and they recorded yeah. Lady in 1972 on their second album and didn't do anything, you know, just nothing. And uh, about, right. well, th- about three years later, I, I think it was a DJ in Chicago. I could be wrong. So the, you huge Sticks fans out there, don't hold <laughs> it. Uh, found the, the single of Lady um, and said... Why wasn't this a hit song? This is I'm going to make this a hit song, and he played it for like 24 hours straight. Oh and, yeah, and I did it, and right? I did it, and people Steve fell man. in love with that song, Lady. And then uh, they came out with uh, their album Equinox in 1975 on new label and everything, and that's when Lady became a hit three years after it was originally released, and that's what kicked sticks into stardom. Was every <laughs> all all the radio stations around the country starting to play Lady? <laughs> that's lady. Yeah. So, I, I never, and that's I thanks never to that's thanks to a disc jockey. See, it it did work then, man, and I still think that it it can uh, work. Uh, hey, man, way back in the day, rock and roll. That yeah. whole phrase was coined by uh, the dude in Cleveland. Yeah, um, um, Alan. Um, Alan Freed. Freed. Yeah. You, you started like the rock and roll thing, and uh, and a lot of bands broke. In, in Cleveland and probably Pittsburgh, but I, I just know because I've been in, on Cleveland radio that a lot of guys would say, man, you know, that's, this is, uh, if they could make it in Cleveland, that was the gateway to the U S and they would start, you know, like Springsteen broken Cleveland. And then that was ushered him out from the East coast to the Midwest. And then he was able to make it. So I had a lot of respect, but by the time I got to do radio in Cleveland, it was not the same anymore. Man. Right. It was, it was already the two thousands and, and it was just like, uh, 
You guys got to play Metallica 10 times. You gotta <laughs> like, Why are we breaking some new bands? Those right. are the old days. <laughs> you know, it might, surpri- <laughs> it might surprise you to learn, speaking of like the older bands, you know, a band uh, credits Pittsburgh with their, with their success. And even though they're not from Pittsburgh and they didn't start here in Pittsburgh. Uh, wait, let me get, let me, let me take you. It was probably like Angler started them. No, uh, well, well, yeah, you're right. Yeah. They had, yeah, had a lot yeah. to do with them. You know, Rich, what Rich Angler. Rich right, wait, Angler. Hold, on, no hold on, hold on, hold on. Cause I think I knew this cause I, you know, I talked to his wife, Cindy occasionally who was an yeah. artist and, and uh, so uh, I, I, you know, I'm going to guess, right, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're going to pull this out. I know it. I feel it. Uh, maybe Bowie. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh. You're not even in the right uh, letter there. Kansas. Oh, Kansas. Kansas. Oh, really? Kansas I would credits, never guess that. Kansas credits Pittsburgh it. for their for their success. Matter of fact, when they did their 40th anniversary tour, they kicked it off here in Pittsburgh because of that. Um, uh-huh. So they, they credit Pittsburgh. See, man, it's, it's like, um, you know, and I've spent a lot of time in Pittsburgh and Cleveland, but there's been a lot of talent, man, yeah. that has come out of this these region this this area and for a reason i think especially you know uh you know by the time i got to school in pittsburgh and and i had been uh kind of you know loving some of the um uh, early early kind of artists gone rock you know like devo uh elvis costello and and then uh you know when i heard the story of devo i'm like holy hell wow these (laughs) guys came out of akron and they were doing like video projects art projects and then Bowie sees him and goes, you know, I love these guys. Let's put them on tour. And then <laughs> and all of a sudden, these weirdos who were doing music. I mean, I, I love that kind of that um, art rock period. Right. I mean, I was just a big fan of like, you know, hey, man, any artist can pick up an axe and have a band. Right. And yep. uh, I became a, a huge fan of that. That wasn't period. A, that's isn't that why they put the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland? Is because of Alan Freed, and they, they figured that's the birthplace yeah. of rock and roll. Was in Cleveland, so yeah, you know, I I guess so, man. It, it's like weird because they don't do any of the, uh, you know, nobody they still they still want to go to New York to do the, you know, the parties and all that. No one right, wants right. to Cleveland to do, uh, which is kind of a drag, but um, you know, I mean, it's New York's a sexy town, so people probably wonder why it wasn't there, you know. Right. But but what's really weird is that I always kind of loved like a little bit of rock history and a quick, quick story. I was, I was doing an art show. Um, it, uh, studio gallery. O in Chicago, I had some pieces. So I, uh, uh, this is like the weirdest story and it gets sort of convoluted, but I, my car had issues. So I rented a van, right? So I loaded my things, black van with tinted windows. So I, <laughs> I, I drove it to Chicago and, uh, I thought, you know, dropped off the art, and was coming pretty much right back, you know, to, right. to Cleveland. So it's only like four or five hours, five hours, six hours. Long. So I'm coming back and, and I, all of a sudden I see Gary, Indiana. I went, wait a minute, Gary, Indiana, that's the home of Michael Jackson, right? <laughs> yeah. So I pull in Gary, Indiana with this black tinted van. Gary, Indiana looks like the bomb was pretty much dropped on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Except nothing for there. Michael Jackson's house. That's <laughs> pristine. <laughs> you know, it's like the bomb. Right. And it was like the house was left intact. And uh, so I'm over there and I'm like, man, look at this. Other people are there. I'm taking pictures in front of Michael Jackson's. This is just like this past year. Right. And I'm like doing it, you know. And then I, uh, you know, I waved to a couple of neighbors and they're like, man, what's that? What, who's that narc over there? Who's that? Who's that cop? Who's that cop? doing <laughs> dark sunglasses and a tinted van. Either I'm a cop, right. I'm, uh, you know, some kind of molester yeah. or I'm dealing drugs. Drugs, right. Something's up. So now... I'm in the car driving back on the turnpike, going back to Cleveland. 
and I'm, it's starting to rain a little bit. Uh, all of a sudden, I, I said, well, I'm going to put up these pictures on Facebook of me by the Michael Jackson house. This is amazing. And a video right. of me, I start getting my pings. My kids are pinging me going, what are you doing? He's, Michael Jackson's not, he's, nobody likes Michael Jackson anymore. He's, he's a freaking molester. Take those down. What are you doing, Dad? Right. Take those off. And so I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. So I'm trying, oh, I got to take these off. Right. Now I'm driving. I'm going 70 miles an hour right. in a black van. And, I, and I'm going, I'm taking them off Facebook. Right. All of a sudden, like, I, I pass, like, these trucks in the middle of the road. I'm like, what are they doing, like, car? And they're doing, like, road service? Um, pickup trucks. So I'm going, I pass it, two of them. And I'm like, uh, you know, a couple, a uh, couple truckers, you know, doing a handoff or something. Right. <laughs> two seconds after these trucks are behind me, pickup trucks. What? And I see this like, whoop, 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 they're cops. And I'm like, Oh my God. Oh, so I, I pull over <laughs> pickup truck. Right. Cop gets out and goes, uh, you know, you're swerving back there. He goes, were you texting? <laughs> now, at this point, I threw my phone into the other, in the other right, seat. I'm like, right. ah, ah, shit. I threw it. Now, all I had to do was say, yeah, officer. Yeah, I was uh, at the Michael Jackson house. I, I was deleting my pictures. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but here's me now. I thought, that's a stupid story. I better come up with something better than that. You told better me you're drinking. Truth. You told me you're no, drinking. Well, because you're so, and I said, uh, you know, I go, I'm just coming out of Chicago and my uh, sister had a breakdown and uh, went to visit. Oh, I'm telling him a totally stupid lie. And he goes, breakdown. Uh, I go, yeah. He goes, some emotional. I go, well, she's on a cut. She's, she'll be fine now. And he goes, so you just drove up to go see her. He goes, well, I'm not going to hold you long. I, you know, it's emotional. Just watch where you're going. He goes, is this your, is this your vehicle? And I go, no, actually, it's it's not mine. Uh, where's your vehicle? I go, well, oh. it's uh, uh, it broke down. So, and he goes, uh, what do you have blankets in the back for? And I go, <laughs> well, I I had art in it. I'm an artist, and I uh, I had some stuff. He goes, are you sleeping in the van? Where you? I go, no, I just went up. So now the story's getting deeper. Right. <laughs> he goes, uh, he goes, do you uh, can you come in the truck with me? We'll we'll just kind of fill out this. I want to talk to you in the truck. I went. Okay, sure. So I'm in the, now, an hour he kept me. He right. grilled me for every, like, so what are you doing? You got any drugs in there? Anything? He goes, why would you have a truck when you, he goes, and so you went up, what was, what, and so I thought, all right, I got to get deeper than this cop. So I started getting into like, yeah, I thought, so anyway, she's on this Selexa, it's like five millimeters, he goes, and she was also mixing with stuff, and on this like, you know, and she's yeah, real detailed about it. Yeah, really <laughs> super detailed. Almost to the point I thought, I'm going to like mess with his head just like he's trying to mess with me. I went, yeah, and she's on this. And I go, you know what? I said, and probably she's drinking. I said, have you ever taken prescription drugs with, with a beer? You don't do that, officer, right? You don't do it. He goes, no, nah, no, nah, I don't. I go, and that might have been what happened. Because all of a sudden, she's talking to herself. She ain't doing And then uh, he goes, all right, well, uh, okay. And he goes, so, uh, yeah, maybe you should stop and get some, take a break, get coffee. next. So he lets me, but it was an hour. So, dude. Here's the bottom line. Don't lie to cops. Don't drive vans with tinted windows because you look like you're running guns or drugs. And uh, I, it all, I blame, you know, I blame Michael Jackson. There it is. <laughs> it I blame Michael Jackson for that. Mic drop. No, but you know what? But you know what? You know what was unintended? You had an what? hour's worth of improv practice. That you yes. can never, that you couldn't get on your own. Uh, so, well, you know, yeah, if, if you do that. get pulled over, I would say 
don't sit and like be, take it like that, but right. start to spew out to the cop because uh, they don't want to hear it. That's what stopped, you know, after it was about 50 minutes. And I thought this is going to go on for two hours. He really is trying to break me down. And I thought I got to start giving him some stuff. Well, you know, I, I'm going to tell you a true story. Uh, Sesame street kept me from getting arrested once Hell and, yeah. and getting Big a DUI bird. and getting a DUI. And I'll tell you how uh, I was, <laughs> I was younger and stupid, you know, back when we all used to have just a couple of beers and try to drive or whatever. Yeah. I was less than a mile from my sister's home where, where I was uh, staying at the time. And um, I don't know. I, I had some friends with me in my car and then I had some pictures from photo hut and they were looking through the pictures and they're scattering pictures. Everywhere. There was pictures everywhere, right in the back of my car. And I didn't even know it. Right. <laughs> and, um, so, well, a cop pulls me over and, um, and starts asking me questions. Where was I, you know, have I been drinking? I said, well, yeah, I had a couple of beers. I said, oh, you know, boy. I, I told myself I'm a big guy. And that was a while ago. I, I, you usually let a few hours pass by before I start to drive. I said, I'm, yeah. I'm fine. And so he says, well, we'll, 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 we'll see if you're fine. And he gave me some tests to go through. Well, first he goes, he's looking in my back seat with a, with a uh, flashlight. And he's like, what's all the pictures back there? And I look back and I'm like, no, I, 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 I had some pictures of friends of mine just scattered me or whatever. So he said, um, so he started running me through the ringer and he said, um, I want you to say the alphabet for me. And I said, okay. And I said, absolutely defki gentleman off Kristuvix is. And he said, what? <laughs> I said, absolutely defki gentleman off Kristuvix is. He said, what the, ever you, what are you talking about? <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm saying the alphabet. Absolutely. And he goes, I, I said, I'm sorry. I, I said, I'm reverting back to Sesame Street from when I was a kid. That's how I learned how to say the alphabet from Sesame Street. Big Bird used to say, sing a song, absolutely defki gentleman off Stuvlitz's. That's the alphabet. And he's just stand, stood there for like a second. He's like, I guess if you could say that, you're not drunk. So get the hell out of here and just be careful. Yeah, yeah. Big Bird saved you, man. I, I, it stunned the guy. Literally stunned the guy by saying, "By, by hell by saying yeah." It. So thank you, Big Bird. You you, you kept me out of this. <laughs> I'm like that's, that's that's never happened. I don't never. think anybody's ever gotten out of jail for knowing a Sesame Street song. No, you know? I mean, but you know, hey, it, it, all uh, that's how you get stories, right? But something yeah, odd, man. something odd and weird happening, right? Now, the, all those Jim Henson stuff. Did you ever see his, his uh, when they did the Jim Henson Museum they, like the, up in um, Queens in Astoria? There's the history of the Museum of Television History or whatever. Right. And I saw a Henson exhibit and his little drawings and all his little 16 millimeter films, Bullocks. And uh, I came away going, I was an artist, 100% an artist right and, and he just happened to you know work with puppets and puppets, do that right, right. but uh, and then as soon as he dies it turned to crap <laughs> because the art the art guy's gone you know well and not <laughs> that but but disney swooped in and and took over there's no and, artist there that guy disney died a long time ago too you know it's like right but so I sometimes, mean, any, you know, anytime disney takes over it, it, things happen to turn to crap so but, but, but in early years disney was kind of a, a visionary it was good right, right? but then right. it became really really big and and uh, but I, I came away going, man, Henson, God, he did some really cool stuff. And then it kind of made me think of how in the 90s, when I was doing uh, animation and film stuff, artists were still in television. You know, you, they, they, they gave us money to, to make stop motion films. Right. Um, just weird, weirdos with ideas. <laughs> MTV would go, you have an idea? And you'd be like, yeah, here's something. They go, here's a few thousand dollars. Make a little promo. Right. And, uh and it was a lot of artists that were doing that. And uh, in fact, if you look, 
you know, the Emmett thing I did, right? Yeah, it was fabulous. So, I love Emmett. <laughs> so if you look now, if you Google this, or anybody wants to Google this, uh, Google the most uh, disturbing uh, children's animation uh, of all time. Uh, and it, it's uh, a, a couple people have ranked it number one. <laughs> this piece I did for Nickelodeon for Kablam. What was it and the, the guy, puffy, puff, puffy rice or what was it? The, yeah. It's like puffy things. Puffy things. Puffy things. Puffy things. Yeah. So that was Emmett's <laughs> voice, but this guy uh, put it up on the site, you know, uh, the, the, the most terrifying thing. And he narrates it and goes, you know, this, the number one most disturbing cartoon <laughs> from the 90s, which really almost destroyed my childhood, um, <laughs> is this, Emmett Freedy. It was on Kablam for Nickelodeon. Oh, wow. Watch this. And they showed it in the, uh, I saw it online. And I right. uh, emailed the guy. First of all, I commented. And right. he goes, oh, my God. The guy that did it is commenting. And then uh, he emails me. I gave him, like, uh, my... I, texted him or messaged him and he's like oh my god i should have asked you and i go dude this is a huge honor i said i'm really flattered that you just this, this, this really disturbed you and you <laughs> call this the number one most disturbed it's number one <laughs> right and he goes oh you're cool with it he goes i go yeah that's fantastic yeah. not often you'd be number one or something you know? <laughs> <laughs> well and it made me think that uh you know that was kind of the last time you know networks allowed just you know kind of some artists to just yeah. with Bolex's cameras to go make films. And, and uh, then it kind of clamped down. And now I think you gotta, you could do your stuff on the internet. You can do whatever you want now. Right. You could yeah. just, you oh, could, you know, yeah, much. I mean, look, we're doing blabber brains. But I mean, uh, you're talking about uh, Kablam. Cause I, I know uh, Scott Paulson used to be involved in that. Yeah, and, he was uh, Scott, the, so, the, the great DJ. Yeah. But I mean, the musician talking about, and, you're talking about people that, that give people the chance to to showcase their talents and stuff. As a matter of fact, uh, before he teamed up with uh, Jimmy Crenn, um, he and I used to do a lot of improv stuff over the phone. Oh, um, really? I used on to the, call him. On, I used to call him oh. up as I used to call him as Bullwinkle. Oh so man! If, if on you ever the TV to, show? On the TV show. So if you ever listen to the old Scott Paulson show and people remember, because I, I you know people lots of the time. Oh, you were Bullwinkle. I'm like, yeah. So because I, I used to do it. I mean. A, Perfect Bullwinkle, right? <laughs> so I call him up all the time. I'm like, hello, dears. This is the outrageous Mr. Scott Paulson. And he'd be like, oh, Mr. Winkle, how are you doing, sir? And we, we would just wing it. We'd just go right, go That's along awesome. and wing it, right? That's and, awesome. uh, so then I started mixing up the characters, whatever. And I, I called him up one time as this guy. I just was making up the voice. And I was like, I don't know. Hi, this is Scott Paulson. Um, and it was like this nervous like guy who was like maybe a little too much, uh, you know, Thorazine or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and he mistook it for Bobcat Goldthwaite for whatever reason. So we just uh, rolled with it. So anytime I called up with that voice, it was Bobcat Goldthwaite, even though it sounded nothing like Bobcat. <laughs> it's more like Jinx the Cat or something, you know? Yeah. You know, that's funny. to pieces. But, um, so, but it was so funny because anytime I called the show, he would just go with it. You know what I mean? It was just, it was pure improv. He was great. He, he was a great setup guy, man. Oh, yeah. Guy. But the, the funniest thing was when I moved to Florida and uh, that, that was about the time when um, Jimmy Crenn came on board. Yeah. And uh, so I came back up and I was visiting and Jimmy never heard me do uh, Bullwinkle. So I stopped in at the studio and we we're trying to figure out, Scott was telling uh, Jimmy about, uh, you know, my voices and stuff like that. And um, we, were, we, we tried to work out a little skit uh, called Bull Moose Dorm. It was taken off, you know, you know Bull Dorm. And so oh, we'll, just, we'll just make it up. You know, we just wrote out a little thing. It's about this. Let's just do this. Let's do that. 
As soon as I went into my Bullwinkle voice, Jimmy Crenn fell off out of his chair. <laughs> it was just the funniest thing in the world. But um, anyways, so that That's was, awesome. uh, but the, the whole point, point of that was that, uh, you know, Scott could have easily, like whenever you call him up saying, yeah, get out of here with this, you know what I mean? I don't know what you're doing, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And just get rid of it. But he embraced it and he's like, yeah, let's go for it. You know what I mean? And Every, if That's you look, awesome. I, I used to record those, and if you listen back at them, they sound like skits. They yeah, sound yeah. like like setups that were skits, but it was all completely improv, and it was it was amazing. I had a great time doing that. So. Well, they they were, um, you know, I I actually the Lou and Costa characters were born on DVE. I, I I just started, you know, and and I was uh, I had no desire. I, I didn't know I was going to do any radio, but I was doing some weird ass stand up at the Funny Bone one uh, Sunday or whenever it was downtown in station square. And uh, Kren was there and, and he's like, Hey, I really like that, man. You want to come, maybe come right for the show, be on the show. I'm like, Hey, whatever. And I just started calling in like that. But I mean, imagine that, that those guys were um, Scott Paulson and Jimmy were so uh, helpful in, 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 you know, helping people like you, me, whatever, to kind of get on air to do stuff. And, um, and that's, and when you're forced to do something on the air, you, you can, uh, you develop it, you know what right. I mean? Cause you're yeah. like, let me focus to do this. And, uh, you know, I did those characters and then I did animations off of them and I continue to, to do them, but it was like just born out of that. Uh, it, so I think you guys sometimes got to get forced to, to, you said, you know, they sound like skits. Well, you were focused. Yeah. You know, well, you know, what I would you know? do is I, I, I would come up with this idea in my head I knew what I wanted to say and how I wanted to execute yeah. it. Yeah. And sure enough, he would, he would play right into it and he would go along with it. Uh, I, we, I mean, we literally went on for like three or four different phone calls where I left, the, I left Hollywood. Uh, or yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, I went out to Hollywood to make, make the movie of, of Bullwinkle. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, so I, I just left Cartoon Land, whatever. I'm going out to Hollywood. I'm going to make it open, you know, do a, a studio and all this other stuff. And he just played along with it, you know, time That's after time. Awesome. It, was, it was a blast. And, um, uh, so anyways, so, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, you, you just don't see or hear that stuff anymore. And, and, um, that's, that's a shame, but you know, I, I always say this, you know, we may have had, uh, you know, our parents might've been part of the greatest generation, but I do believe that people our age, we lived in the greatest times, uh, the, the, uh, the late seventies, eighties, or, you know, early nineties, in my opinion, there were no greater times, uh, to be, uh, be an American, be, on this earth, uh, listen to music, uh, just get away with the things we got away with, uh, feel free oh, to explore yeah. yourself. You know, we'd have no internet <laughs> back then to, <laughs> to go back on and say, Oh, you did this, you did that or whatever. So we could be as stupid as we wanted to be. Uh, it was great. So, but yeah, uh, anyways. It, you know, it's, it, uh, yeah. I mean, and it was a uh, tangible man. It was yeah. like, you yeah. know, as a, as a kid growing up, you know, I, I remember just, uh, you know, mini bikes, playing football, uh, dirt, eating fruit off trees and never being home and never having a phone. I mean, I couldn't imagine like, you know, ripping through the woods on my little mini bike, checking my phone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that gets in the way of life. Right. Yep. You know? Yep. Uh, yep. But on that, on the other hand though, 
look at what we're doing on the telephone. I'm on yeah. my phone now. Right. So yeah. I, I mean, I who would have thunk that, man, back then? Damn, it's, this is yeah. space age stuff we're living now, man. I'm, yeah, so I'm kind of digging it, too. Thank God well, for the technology. It's cool to be able to see it, though, evolve from seeing cell phones in a bag that somebody would plug into their cigarette yeah, yeah. in their car to now, geez, that's what I'm using tonight. I'm running a microphone off of a preamp into a cell phone and talking to you. you know, it's just it's crazy. A, it, it, do you remember those dudes would be like, uh, I don't know when it was early nineties or whatever. People be like, uh, Hey, use my car phone. What? You got a car phone. And you know, you go inside the phone in the car and be like, man, you know, don't use up too much. I only got so many minutes per month. Dude, and, that was uh, my my that my dad had a car phone in the seventies, in the late seventies. Seventies in the se- late seventies, he had one in his uh, Lincoln. And oh, dude, when, that's when, crazy. When when the uh, phone would ring, his horn would beep, and it was only like man, 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 like when you're in the house, whatever. And to make a call, you had to pick you had, you had to pick the receiver up and hit the button. You get an operator. You tell the operator to make a call. She make the call for you. <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was Mister Bigwig in the uh, in the eighties when I moved to Florida and I went to Radio Shack and I got a car phone installed in my car and I won I won up my dad because I got like a little microphone that I used to clip onto my uh, sun visor oh, and I was going hands free. I was hands free in the eighties, dude. I was like. Uh, you had was, it all. You I were had living it all, that, man. You were living and, that Tampa lifestyle, right? And then when, I'm, <laughs> and then when I came back up to Pittsburgh, I I upgraded to a freaking flip phone. Now the battery was about that big, but I had a flip phone. Yeah, and you uh, did. my dad used to have the he he migrated to the the brick. Remember that was like the first uh, yeah. cell phone was like this brick. And yeah. uh, that my dad had one of those. It was so funny. I, I still well, remember it. Well, did you do the transition where it was like, uh, okay, dude, listen, uh, call my pager. I'll call yeah. you back on my <laughs> cell phone. I used to have a pager. Yep. Yep. And that, that didn't make any sense. Like, why don't you no. just give me your cell phone? No, right. no, 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 man. No, you, you have to do the pager. Me, right. I'll call you back. Well, because what was that all about? Well, because yeah, like fifty I, minutes well, was expensive back then yeah, too. That's what well, it was. Yeah. Well, first of all, yeah, it was, it was to save money. Second of all, it was to to be able to not. It's kind of like texting now it makes it so much easier because if you don't have the time to get back to somebody, you text them back whenever you get back to them. Or yeah, you, if you yeah. don't want to bother them on the phone, you just text them. Paging was the same way. It's like if you don't want to bother somebody or, or don't know if they're yeah. busy or yeah. something like that, you page them, and that means call me back as soon as you can. Call me when you can. So, there it is. It makes sense. Right. I was like, yeah, but I was like, you know, people have double thing. I got two pages. I got two cell phones. I'm right. ready. <laughs> well, now we, we've, we've come full circle with all of our discussions and we, yes, we're, we we're, we're, we're guaranteed to only have the geriatrics crowd watching blabber brains oh, right now because God. of all of our topics. This coronavirus is killing off all of our fans too. Right. <laughs> well, get this to stop. Yeah. That'll be a topic for another time. Unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, this COVID is, is crazy. It's ruining hey, everything. So this time. might be the biggest podcast in, in like nursing homes. So is that what you're saying? <laughs> you never, Hey, that, they're, they're not doing anything there. Yeah. We, we, we got to get a niche somewhere, right? We gotta, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter, man. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You gotta hey, find, your audience needs to find you. Their, their grandkids are coming in, uh, visiting them saying, what are you watching? What are you watching? Oh, these three, these three crazy, these idiots on the little <laughs> television. <laughs> they're talking about mini bites and back in the day and Judy Cred. <laughs> <laughs> Who? <laughs> oh man so hey, this has been a blast and i hey. i, I, I want to thank you for for helping us sure, kick man. this off you know you know much like saturday Night live had george carlin as his first guest uh you know you're right up there with the ranks uh helping to kick this show off with george carlin wow hey, no, thank I'm not, you i'm not I agree saying with him 
I'm not saying I'm not saying that Blabber Brains is like Saturday Night Live. I'm just saying there's a correlation <laughs> between first guests on the show. So. Yeah, uh, that's good. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, well, yeah. But who was the? Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think. I don't know. There's I see, George Carlin was the first thing. I, he was I the just, first guest. He was the first. I just guest remember. Host, yeah. I just remember like the old Albert Brooks films that I thought right. were great. You know, back then. But anyway, yeah. go and wrap it up. Though we can't continue another conversation. <laughs> People aren't listening now. No, right. I know. We, hey, you, the three of us, I think we could keep this up for another two hours, but I'm not sure if anybody else would, would stay tuned in that long. But, uh, this <laughs> I, was, I think my battery's starting to die. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this, this was great. Really appreciate it. We'll have to have oh, you yeah. on, back on again soon. Thanks, so for, guys. Uh, so for uh, my, my partner in crime, Mark Anthony, uh, myself, Michael Kadri, Tom McGallis, uh, you know, go out. Hey, why don't you pimp uh, some of your, your social media? Where do you want people to go to? We'll oh. throw it up on the screen. Well, uh, at Tom McGallis, uh, right. that's like uh, my uh, Instagram, T-O-M-M-E-G-A-L-I-S. Right. You might put it up though, right? Oh, we'll put and it then, up there, uh, yeah. TomMcGallis.com. There's some art up there. That's my website. Right. Uh, Tom McGallis Art on Facebook. Tom McGallis on Facebook. Oh Tom my McGallis gosh. is everywhere. Look, just look <laughs> just, for just my Just Google art. the guy. You'll find him. Google like the out. best. Yeah. That's, and <laughs> we'll look at the Emmett. The Emmett on, uh, you know, you'll get a kick out of that. It's, yes, uh, watch Emmett. Everybody yeah. Google yeah. Google Emmett and watch <laughs> it on YouTube. It's it's great with the puffy dinks and the, the lice uh, case puffy and things. stuff like that. Puffy dinks. Puffy dinks. It's awesome. All right. All right, Tom. We'll take care of that eye. Uh, get healed up real quick. Uh, yeah, it's feeling and, good. It's feeling good. Uh, awesome, man. So uh, we'll, we'll see you around the campfire. And, and everybody for my else, Greek people, my yeah, Greek people, Kalinichtasas, Kalinichtasas, Yasu. You just, you just, you just <laughs> broke us into another bracket of, of uh, <laughs> viewing audience there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, Greeks, <laughs> you're gonna love that. Yeah. Well, we don't know when we'll be back again, but uh, I can guarantee you we will be back. So until next time, people. See you later. Lab brains. <laughs>